Good morning, everyone. If you're uh, visiting us this morning, can I just say a big welcome to you as well? It's great to have you with us. Uh, it'll be really helpful if you have that part of Luke open, chapter 24. I'll refer to it a couple of times. And so you might need to just look down at it yourself. Uh, we were looking last week uh, about the way that uh, each of the four gospel writers um, moves their story towards uh, the death of Jesus. They all do that, all four gospels. That's where the story is going. Jesus is crucified. Well, the other side of that coin is that Jesus is risen, just as they all talk about his death. Likewise, they all talk about his resurrection. It's an integral part of the message that they want to uh, tell us, that this is what has happened to Jesus. Now, what might surprise us is that uh, this fact of Jesus rising from the dead was actually unbelievable for them. They didn't just immediately uh, embrace the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. So we're going to think for a minute here simply about the fact that for the early disciples, uh, Jesus rising from the dead was unbelievable. Now, why do I say that? I say that because uh, it's just simply not an ordinary thing for somebody to die and then after or on the third day to come back to life. That just doesn't happen. That's odd. That's really, really odd. Now, sometimes uh, we've heard it said, or you may have even said this yourself, um, that, oh, yes, of course, we understand why the gospel writers would have said that, because people back then believed that sort of thing. They believed in miracles and resurrections and all that kind of stuff. So it's natural that they would have uh, thought that um, Jesus rose from the dead. It makes for a good story. But the truth is uh, that that's just not right, is it? That's just not correct. Um, I'll just give a few examples. For The first is uh, the group of Jews back then called the Sadducees. Uh, and the Bible clearly tells us that they uh, did not believe in the resurrection. So there's a large group of Jews who don't believe in the resurrection. Uh, another example is uh, in the book of Acts where Paul, he goes to Athens and Paul is uh, telling them a message about Jesus. He's telling them about how Jesus has died. And he, he gets to this point where he says that Jesus has risen from the dead. And then uh, Luke, who's telling us uh, about these events, says, when they heard about the resurrection, some mocked. Some mocked. Yeah, because Paul has gone to talk to uh, Greek philosophers, uh, people who are interested in different ideas, different messages. And Paul's got a message about a man who rose from the dead. And that's funny because people don't rise from the dead. Now, it's not just the Sadducees or the Greeks, but the disciples themselves. And Luke makes uh, a number of points where we can see that. I'll just go through some of them here. So in verse one, for example, uh, the, the, the women who had been following Jesus during, uh, during the time that he was alive, they uh, come to anoint his body with spices. What are they doing? They think they're coming to anoint a dead body. Then what happens in verse four? After seeing the empty tomb, they don't jump to belief about a resurrection. 
even though he's told them that he must die and rise again, rather they are perplexed about it. What is going on? Where is Jesus's body? John, a different gospel writer, actually tells us that <clears throat> somewhere in amongst all of these, uh, this trimmed down uh, narration of uh, events, that Mary herself actually wept at the tomb. And she was wondering who has stolen the body of Jesus. She's not immediately thinking of a resurrection. In verse 11, if you just uh, scroll down a little bit further, you'll see that when the apostles first hear about the empty tomb, they don't believe the women. Look what it says there. It says they just thought that it was an idle tale. The women have come back and said the tomb's empty. We've seen an angel and they still think it's an idle tale. Or in verse 21, the two disciples that, that uh, a large portion of our text is um, taken up of uh, this morning, these guys on their way to Emmaus, uh, it, it, the text reveals that they, they themselves are in this sad mood and they're talking to Jesus and they're saying, we had hoped that he was the guy to redeem Israel, right? They know. And not only so, but we've also heard uh, this morning that some women came back and they told us that the tomb was empty, but pff, we're sad, right? They didn't immediately, immediately believe it. Uh, Jesus himself in verse 25 laments at their unbelief, slow of heart to believe. Hey? And then it uh, passed our verses this morning, but what will be in the text for next week um, is this beautiful verse. It's verse 41. And it says that the disciples, even when Jesus has come right into their midst, it says they disbelieved for joy, right? It is both so good that Jesus is alive, but so unbelievable, they can't get their heads around what's going on. And we haven't even got to so-called doubting Thomas yet. Now, the point here is that we can't just say people back then believed in resurrections so it's natural that they would have said that luke tells us a lot about the fact that actually the disciples when jesus first came back from the dead they themselves struggled to believe it because it's absolutely unbelievable that somebody should come back from the dead right why do i mention all of that why go into all of that well uh, for a couple of reasons, just quickly. One is I think it just helps us grasp afresh the wonder of what the message of Jesus is. We are talking about a man who died and rose from the dead. We are talking about a supernatural reality. Also, we're talking about something that is outside of us. We're talking about something that God has done completely apart from any of us. This is good news because that means that our salvation is not uh, ultimately dependent on what we've done, but about what God has done on our behalf. But also, uh, importantly, it's because um, bringing this up helps us to um, get past a cheap answer for this claim that Jesus has risen from the dead. The, the, uh, it can be easy for us to dismiss the message of Jesus by saying that's what people thought about back then and thereby uh, escape dealing with the facts ourselves with this cheap answer. By, by, by moving that aside, we can say, actually, we need to have a better answer for why the disciples proclaimed 
that Jesus had risen from the dead. And we can't just say that kind of thing happened back then. They were all just a little bit silly back then. Truth is they weren't just a bit silly back then. There were lots of really, really smart people uh, back then. People who are a lot smarter than me, right? And they didn't all just think people rise from the dead. So why did the apostles proclaim that Jesus had risen? Simply because they're faced with the facts. They're faced with Jesus in the flesh. Here he is. That's what's happened. Now, who does that? Let's think about the apostles themselves for a second. Who goes around proclaiming a message that they might know to be untrue? Not only that, who goes around and suffers and dies for a message that they know isn't true? We can, uh, we can go even further and say, Peter himself is both cruel and crazy. The words that um, Dan just read for us from 1 Peter are words that talk about, um, uh, they're words encouraging Christian believers that Jesus has risen from the dead and that he is a living hope. And he's telling them to suffer unjustly, be willing to suffer unjustly. And that includes pain, loss of jobs, loss of money, loss of reputation, because they have a living hope in Jesus. Now, if Peter knows that that's not true and he's making that up, he is at best just mean, right? Or maybe he's just crazy. And it goes the same for the other writers of the Bible, the other New Testament writers. If they know that it's not true, they're mean. They're trying to encourage us to live in light of that, something they know isn't true. Now that doesn't make any sense to me. And I encourage you to check it out for yourself. Read the gospels, read the letters and ask yourself, does this sound like people who are mean and crazy? Or does this sound like people who have encountered a man who came back from the dead? Now, the story of Jesus is unbelievable. He's risen from the dead. But on their own, that's just facts. What's the meaning? What's the real meaning that the man Jesus from Nazareth was crucified and then came back to life? Luke wants to tell us a couple of things about that. And so that's uh, what we're going to focus on. The first is what it means is that Jesus has entered into his glory. So in verse 26 of chapter 20, chapter 24 here, we see uh, Jesus saying to these guys on the road to Emmaus, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? What that means is that Jesus, in rising from the dead, has been enthroned. He has been appointed by God as God's chosen king. And this has been the hope of Israel when the Messiah would come and enter into his glory and take his seat on the throne. Jesus in Matthew 28, it's a different gospel at the end of it. After he's risen from the dead, he puts it like this. He says to the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. I am the king. Paul says it like this. I'll just grab my Bible here and I'll read it from Acts chapter 17, verse 31. He says that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness 
by a man whom he has appointed, right? That's by his chosen king. And of this, of this fact, he has given assurance, evidence, he's shown that this is his man to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus has been humbled in his death and now God has exalted him to the highest place by raising him from the dead and putting on him the name above every name that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's risen from the dead and God is saying, this is my man. This is Psalm 2. I have appointed, I've set my king in Zion. And here's what that means. That means that hope is not lost. Instead, hope got better. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time uh, now for these last few minutes together this morning. I want to talk about hope and I want to say hope is not lost. In fact, with Jesus rising from the dead, hope got better. Hope is alive. Okay, let's think about that together. Hope is alive because Jesus is alive. Now, thinking about our passage, a large portion of it, you will have noticed, is taken up with this story about these two guys who are on their way to Emmaus. Uh, that's leaving Jerusalem. And the mood is sad. These guys are down. You can tell, Luke tells us, and they were sad. Jesus appears, comes up next to them. He's hidden from their sight. They can't recognize him. And Jesus asked them, what are you guys chatting about? And they say, they actually stop. And they, they think, are you the only guy in Jerusalem who, who hasn't heard? This guy, Jesus, this guy, Jesus, he was a great man. He did mighty deeds. And then they say this really key phrase, and I think it helps us to understand what their mood, and it under, helps us to understand what is going on with the resurrection of Jesus and of his work in his death as well. And this is what they say. They say, <coughs> he was this mighty guy, but the chief priests and the rulers, they delivered him over. They condemned him to death. Verse 21, but we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And then they say, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. It's the third day. We had hoped, but our hope has been crushed. We had hoped, right? We had hoped. And what did they hope for? They'd hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel. Now, in order to understand what their hopes were and what the work of Jesus is, we have to go back into the, into the Old Testament, into the Jewish Bible, and find out what are they talking about? What did they think when they were talking about Israel being redeemed? Now, let's try and think about that for a bit, bit together. This is going to be a little bit harder, so work with me. There are two different ways to understand redemption in the Bible. Well, at least. Uh, redemption is a word that has um, two aspects to it. One is uh, payment and the other is release. Uh, something is bound, it's something, something is uh, held by something, uh, and a payment releases that thing. Now, one aspect or one way that redemption works is redemption can be judicial. So, for example, 
this is an example from uh, the Jewish Bible. Uh, it's in their law, is how they were supposed to govern their country. Uh, if somebody has a bull, and that bull is a, um, a wild bull, it's a bull that's known for trying to gore people with its horns. Uh, if this person is negligent, uh, leaves their bull uh, to get out of its pen and, um, and gore somebody to death, the penalty is that that bull needs to die, but also that that man who allowed that bull to die uh, must also die because he knew that it was a dangerous bull and he didn't uh, keep, it, keep it safe, but he allowed it to go out and kill someone. So he is under the death penalty, right? He's bound over to the death penalty. And the thing is, he can be redeemed, this man. There can be a price set on his head he can be redeemed and he can be released from the penalty of death. He's under a judicial penalty and he can be redeemed from that by a payment. So he's done something wrong. He's under, he's bound by the law, but he can be redeemed by a payment. That's one. But that's probably not what these guys on the road to Emmaus are thinking of. They're probably thinking of the time when Israel was redeemed from Egypt. Israel as a nation were slaves in Egypt. Uh, and so they were bound in the sense that they weren't free. They were oppressed by Egypt. And God, by mighty signs and wonders, uh, natural, supernatural phenomena, uh, rescues Israel from Egypt. And he, the Bible calls that a redemption. Now, that is uh, probably what these guys on the, to, on the road to Emmaus are thinking of. Israel at this time, is oppressed by Rome. They are under Roman rule. And they're probably thinking, this guy Jesus looked like the guy. He actually comes into Jerusalem and he looks like we're going to crown him as king. But he's been crucified. We thought he was going to be the guy to redeem us. We thought he was going to be the guy to rescue us from this oppressive Roman power. That's probably what they're thinking. That is the redemption that they're hoping for. Now, here's the thing. And we as readers know, right? Because we know something better is going on and they haven't got the surprise yet. But man, when they get it, they're going to see that hope is not lost. It just got better. Now, the problem with their perception is that they thought that Rome was their problem. They had, their, their expectations of redemption were too low. And that is too common the problem uh, with too many of us. We think that our problem is politics. We think that our problem is education. We think that our problem is where we live. We think that our problem is our situation. But our biggest problem is way deeper because the Bible starts all the way back in Genesis 1 the first chapter of the Bible. And that chapter tells us that sin and death were not in the world at that time. And the problem enters in Genesis 3, when death comes in. As people, we're not made to die. That's why dying is such a sad situation. That's why COVID at the moment is so terribly sad. That's why it's so serious. Because death is not normal. And so what these guys on the road to Emmaus have missed is they've missed that when the Messiah comes, he is going to 
bring a greater redemption than simply redemption from Rome. He's going to bring a redemption from sin and from death. You see, because here's the thing, as people, we're all sinners. Just like this person who has um, been negligent with this uh, bull, we have broken God's law in far more ways. God's law says that we uh, should have no other gods before him. But how many other things have we served and worshipped and trusted in and devoted ourselves to other than God? God's law says that you shouldn't covet. And that means having a disproportionate desire, urge, want, hunger for things that you don't have. We have that all the time. Or it means having being overly obsessed and centering your life around things that you do have. And sometimes that can just be ourselves. God's law says that we shouldn't steal. Oh, if I had a penny for all the times that I was encouraged by people to cut little corners over silly little things like a couple of pounds. We just love to be dishonest. God's law says that we must not commit adultery. And Jesus tells us that adultery starts in the hearts with our lusts. We are very, very far on the wrong side of God's law. And the reason why we don't see that this is a danger is because we've lost the holiness of God. And that itself is something that we are liable for because we belittle God. But the truth is we've broken God's law. We've rebelled against God and we ourselves are under the judicial sentence of death. We ourselves are bound by sin and by death. And that is humanity's big problem. Not politics and not COVID in and of itself, but what COVID does is it, COVID brings us face to face with that reality of death. And that is our big problem. And so Jesus comes in. And Jesus makes a payment with his own blood and redeems us from sin and from death. And so when these guys finally get to see that there is a man who has come back from the dead in their midst, we're supposed to look at him and think, hold on a second, something really big has happened. Here's a guy who, uh, of whom death did not hold down. Death didn't hold this guy down. What's going on? The truth is, hope is still alive and the redemption got way better. Now, as we uh, finish up our time, um, I'm just going to direct us uh, to the future, because as Christians, uh, we live uh, in the in-between time. Uh, we don't see all of our problems currently uh, resolved. We still see death. We still uh, battle with sin. We still see the influence of the devil around us. 
that doesn't mean that God has let us down. That doesn't mean that our hopes are misguided. Because the thing about the hope is that because we live in the in-between, the whole frame of the Christian life is one that looks forward to that final day. The whole frame of the Christian life says, Jesus has risen from the dead. He is the beginning of the new creation. This is why uh, Luke alerts us to the fact in verse one, that it is the first day of the week. It's the first day of the week because there's a new creation happening. And Jesus is the beginning. He's the first of the new creation. And Christians are living in this space in between where God's work hasn't been finished, but it will be finished because we know that he's raised his son. We know that he's set his king in place. And so we look forward. We look forward to the promises that God has made. We look forward in confidence because we look back on what God has done. We see all the scriptures, as Jesus says, do you not see that all the scriptures were moving towards this moment and this moment has been fulfilled? The Christ must suffer. He must die and he must enter his glory. And that has happened. So you can have hope for the future. You may be going through pain. You may be going through hurt. Hope is still alive. We have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. It's a hope that's outside of us. It's a hope that doesn't depend on how good or how strong we are. It's a hope that depends on God's faithfulness to God's promises. It's a hope that depends on God's power to fulfill and achieve and bring to pass his promises. And that is, is stable ground. We have a hope that is sure and is alive in Jesus Christ. And it's outside of us. And we get connected to that through faith. And that's the last thing to say, is how do we make this ours? How do we make this hope our hope? Because as we thought last week, just because Jesus has died and it could be, um, and it means uh, he's taken a, a death in, in somebody's place, it's a substitution, it doesn't happen automatically. And the hope of Jesus doesn't automatically become yours, but it can become yours and it become, can become yours today. It could be, uh, you could be uh, at, on the last breath and it can still become yours today because the way that we connect to the life of Jesus is simply by faith. It is simply by, by receiving him, by believing in him, by trusting in him, by looking to him and saying, Jesus, let your death, be the penalty, be the payment for my sins. I, that's true. I have broken your law. I have walked my way and I am under the sentence of sin and death, your punishment. But Jesus, you have paid my price. And Jesus, you have risen from the dead. You are my living hope that I have died with Christ. And just as Jesus was raised from the dead, by faith in him, I also will be raised with him in the resurrection. That's the Christian hope. And that can be your hope. And that is what we need in this season. We need a living hope. It's a hope that's available to all people. It's a hope for you if you've just tuned in today. It's a hope for people right across the world. And perhaps now 
uh, in COVID, we are feeling so much more that as people, we are not in control. We are not in control of our lives ultimately. Death is an enemy that is too big for us. And death is, death is uh, the consequences for our sin. We need our sin paid for. And we need God on our side. And God is on our side through the resurrection of Jesus. Let's give thanks and pray. Father in heaven, thank you that Jesus has been raised from the dead. He is our great king. And so, Jesus, we praise you as our Lord. We lift you up in our hearts. We thank you for giving us the gift of your life and for this hope. Please help us to trust in you. Please help us to look to you. And thank you that you always keep your promises. Thank you that all those who trust in you will be raised with you to eternal life. Amen.